Judges. We've been uh, working through the book of Judges, and there are honestly some pretty obscure passages in here that most people aren't familiar with today, though. Uh, Samson and Delilah. I think almost everybody is at least somewhat familiar with that. And we'll start uh, with a less familiar uh, part in chapter 16, verse 1, and get to that. So be reading all of chapter 16 of the book of Judges. Samson went down to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute and went into her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. And they kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he rose, arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. After this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, seduce him and see where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound, the one could, that one could subdue you. And Samson said to her, if they bind me with the seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber, and she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it, is touched, when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. Then Delilah said to Samson, Behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, If they bind me with new ropes... That have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you. Samson and the men lying in ambush were in, in an inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Then Samson said, Then Delilah said to Samson, Until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave the seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with the pin and said to him, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep and pulled away the pin, the loom and the web. And she said to him, how can you say I love you When your heart is not with me, you have mocked me these three times, and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day, he urged and urged him. His soul was vexed to death. And he told her all his heart and said to her, A razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. And my head is shaved then. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me, and I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then Delilah saw that he had told all his heart, and she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up again, 
for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in in their hands, and she made him sleep on her knees, and she called a man, and he had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him, and and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he woke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles. And he ground at the mill at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God, for they said, Our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they they said, Call Samson that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young men, man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were there. On the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtal in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Father, we come to you this morning and ask that you would open our hearts and our eyes uh, by your Holy Spirit, this word that we might know your truth and it might change us for your glory and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, things are messed up. We live in a messed up world, don't we? Let me just name a few names. From Rittenhouse to Chauvin to Dylan Roof to Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School to COVID to COVID mandates to BLM to Capitol riots to supply chain shortages to comedians joking about abortion to a China armed with hypersonic missiles. The world is messed up and it's disorienting. And it is out of our control. We feel it. Well, it was worse for Samson. It was worse for the people of Israel in his day than it is for us today. Israel was cowered under the thumb of the Philistines. They weren't even calling out to the Lord anymore, as we found. For those of you who have been with us as we studied the book of Judges, they constantly would call out to the Lord. Not in this case. They'd given up. They lack resolve. And even as we go back to the previous accounts of the judges, to Ehud, 
to Gideon, to Deborah, to Jephthah, all of the judges, these accounts were not filled with shiny, happy people. These were accounts of people who were in deep distress. And the message of the Bible is clear. It doesn't sugarcoat the wrong. If you want to sugarcoat reality, go to some other source. But if you want the solution to this messed up world, then go to the God of the Bible. The hymn says, this is my father's world, and though the wrong seems off so strong, what? God is the ruler yet, right? He is sovereign. And we can speak of the sovereign will of God. God is king. Kings make decrees. God makes decrees. We speak of the decrees of God, one way in which there are certain laws in effect, the laws of the universe. We can talk about gravity, for instance, and it's only such because God upholds the universe. He created it and upholds it. The universe is truly massive. It's incomprehensibly massive, and God created it all down to the smallest particle. And there's not one errant molecule, excuse me, one errant molecule in the universe. And so God's sovereignty extends to all of his creatures and all of their actions, and nothing is outside of the sovereign will of God, his decreed will. Now, his decreed will is different than the moral will of God. God reveals certain moral truths that we are to follow. And we can, in fact, do violate the moral will of God all the time. The Ten Commandments, for instance. And all of the problems that we face in this world are either directly or indirectly related to violating God's moral will. You go back to Genesis, the first chapters, and we find that Adam and Eve violated his moral will. They sinned. They uh, ate the fruit that was forbidden them to eat. And as a result, the earth has been cursed, and there's thorns and thistles and hurricanes, all of these various things that, that might not be a result of anything you did personally, but we live in a cursed earth. People sinning against you causes you much pain. And then we have the consequences of living in opposition to God's owner's manual, right? So the moral will of God isn't simply... Uh, moral will of God in the sense that there's no practical application to it. If you put nitroglycerin in your car tank instead of gasoline, there could be a problem. So God knows how he created us, how he built us, how we are to operate in this world. And then finally, in response to sin in our lives, there will either be judgment or discipline from God in response to violating his moral will. He is king. He is king of all, and he is the father of his children. There is the decreed will of God. You make real decisions. People make real decisions in this world. And yet these real decisions never thwart God's decreed plan. And that should encourage you. It should encourage you that what others do in this world is not going to thwart and mess up the plan of God. That that the messed up world that we live in will not mess up God's plan. He is in control. Now, what does that have to do with Samson 
Everything. It's everything. You see, the accounts of Samson, right? Samson's not just sort of a, a Dwayne the Rock Johnson, you know, biblical version. And Delilah's not simply, um, you know, a soap opera figure, you know, just there for our entertainment. No, there are deep truths here, truths here that we see. And the main truth that we see here in these Samson accounts is that God has a purpose and a will, and he is going to accomplish it. And for God's people living in a broken world, there is nothing more reassuring to us. So last week when he preached, we looked at the fact that Samson's parents were rightly upset that Samson uh, was sinning by marrying a non-Israelite woman, right? They were upset about that. And Samson said in response to their being upset, get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. But then Judges 14, 4 said, his father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines. How was it that this was going to be an opportunity for the Philistines to defeat the Philistines. You know, in the past, God would raise up a judge and the judge would uh, move out and he would raise up the people of God and they would go out and they would defeat the enemy. Not so with Samson. Samson was essentially a bull in a china shop. God, by his spirit, raised him up, empowered him. He went and lived with the Philistines. And the rest is history, right? So Judges 14, 19, the spirit of the Lord rushed on him and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down 30 men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who he had told the riddle. You remember last week there was this riddle and uh, Samson lost the riddle. And so he had to go ahead and take care of that promise he made. And so he did that by killing Uh, These men in Ashkelon, 30 men of the town. Well, you know, a bull in a china shop is not concerned about the china, not concerned about the owner, not concerned about anything else but himself. And so as he did this, then the people, the Philistines, were not happy with Samson. And so um, they uh, came and went after Samson. And uh, Samson's wife was given to somebody else. And so what did he do? He tied uh, he got 300 foxes. Again, we didn't cover this last week. And tied tail to tail, put a torch in between them, ran them through standing grain in the olive grove, torched it. Philistines, Philistines were not happy campers, right? And so they responded by burning uh, Samson's previous wife and father-in-law. And so he responds in 15:7, I will be avenged on you. And he struck them with a great blow. Philistines weren't happy about that. And so in chapter 15, they bound him with ropes, but he broke the ropes. And in response, he found a fresh jawbone from a donkey, Judges 15, 15, and put, put it in his hand and took it and with it struck down a thousand men. And that leads us to the Samson and Delilah story here. And Judges 16, 27. Now the house was full of men and women and all the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof, there were 3,000 men and women. Who looked on and they called for Samson and he prayed to the Lord and the Lord answered his prayer. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. 
and God accomplished his purpose in defeating his and his people's enemies, the oppressors of the Israelites, through this supernaturally empowered bull in a china shop. God will keep his promises. He said, I will make my people into a great nation. I will give them the land of Canaan and that all the world will be blessed through one of your descendants. He made that promise to Abraham. He's going to maintain and sustain his people. One of your descendants will come and will save people from their sins. Jesus Christ, he said, I will be your God and you will be my people. And many other promises God made and God kept his promises. And isn't it encouraging to know that even your own sin won't keep God from fulfilling his purpose? We look at Samson and we find out that Samson was a sinner. Okay, first of all, he did not keep his Nazarite vow. We heard about that Nazarite vow last week, and he was never to cut his hair. He was to eat nothing unclean. He was to eat nothing uh, from the the grapevine, no uh, wine or anything from the grapevine. And he probably broke all three of those Nazarite vows. He certainly broke um, the the, uh, not eating an unclean thing. He ate the honey out of the carcass of a lion, we found out last week, which would be in violation to the Old Testament laws. And he also uh, violated the law by uh, marrying... A Philistine woman. He said, give her to me for she is right in my eyes. And he spoke about that this is particularly an apt description of him because he had a lust problem. And uh, to be sure, uh, Samson uh, had a problem with women and he had a problem with problem women. Um, He had a weak spot. And marrying this non-Israelite woman was contrary to God's law. And in fact, this phrase that it is right in his own eyes is a description not simply about the type of sin that he was committing in lusting, but it's a broader description of sin in the book of Judges. It's, for instance, when we get to the, uh, the next section of the book of Judges, and by the way, it gets worse, okay? It gets worse at the end of the book of Judges. We're just going to cover one more section. Uh, next week will be our last uh, in the series. But there's a a reason given why things went so bad in the book of Judges. Judges 17.6 says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And Judges 21.25 again repeats it. In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That was their problem. They were their own authority. They did not acknowledge their sovereign, their king, who had made moral commands. Instead, they did whatever they pleased to do, not what pleased the Lord. And Samson is doing what he pleases. And yet, God's plan is not thwarted. The Westminster Confession of Faith in chapter 5 on the providence of God uh, it says a lot of things, but to summarize, it says in his providence, it extends itself. God's providence extends itself uh, to all sins um, and the sinfulness thereof proceeds only from the creature and not from God, who being most holy and righteous, neither is nor can be the author or approval of sin. OK, those are deep waters, folks. 
But that's exactly what we see here in Judges chapter 16 in this account with, with Samson. That Samson is a sinner and sins. And yet his sin is something that does not thwart the plan of God. God is able to use even that and not be the author of sin. He doesn't move in Samson to sin. And so there's much mystery here, but the Bible clearly teaches it. Your sin, my sin, the sin of others will not thwart God's plans. God saved his people from the Philistines, and God saves his people today. So in the midst of chaos, spiraling downward violation of God's moral will, his sovereign will is going to be accomplished. So what's the takeaway for us? One takeaway in terms of our response is to have faith in the Lord. Faith is the vital link between us and God. Think about what Samson is concerned about here. Samson, for instance, is not concerned about God's glory, right? The Philistines, they are um, they're saying, hey, Dagon is the one who's accomplished all this. Uh, praise be to Dagon. And Samson doesn't seem to be concerned about God being mocked. Um, Samson is not concerned about his people. You know, the other judges were concerned about Victory and winning victory for, his, for their people. Samson doesn't seem to be concerned about that. Samson is concerned about Samson. He's concerned about vengeance. But Samson got one vital thing right. Faith in the Lord. Judges 16, 28, then Samson called to the Lord. Oh, Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once. O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines. And then another section we did not read, Judges 15, 18, after a victory there, it says Samson was very thirsty and he called upon the Lord and said, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant and shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God provides water for him to drink. We just got done celebrating Veterans Day. Veterans Day is a time where we honor those who are willing uh, to put themselves into harm's way, to take a bullet if necessary, uh, to protect our country. And that was not Samson. Samson wasn't that guy that we would lift up and say, boy, Samson, you just took one for the team. No, Samson took one for Samson. And yet, and yet, Samson had faith. He had faith in the Lord to accomplish this. So we'll return to the subject of faith in just a minute. Uh, But another takeaway is that we should do better than Samson and we should live for the glory of God. You know, why do we exist? We exist for God's glory. And we see here where Samson is not particularly motivated by this. Judges 16, 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and rejoice. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, they praised their God. For they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand, the ravager of our country who has killed us. And again, Samson's concern is revenge, not God's glory. I'm reminded of an account in the Old Testament centuries later where King Hezekiah is in a a very difficult situation. 
Uh, Jerusalem is surrounded by the Assyrians. There's no human uh, hope whatsoever that he is going to be uh, to survive the situation. And uh, they send a letter. The enemy sends a letter to Hezekiah and basically mocks God in the letter and says, no, no other God has uh, protected them from us taking their nation and God and your Lord is not going to do this as well. And what does Hezekiah do? He lays it out before the Lord. He lays out the letter and says, see how they're mocking you? Rise up, Lord, for your glory's sake. We exist for God's glory. And God did accomplish that purpose through Samson of glorifying himself. Revelation chapter 15, verse 4 says, Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. 2 Thessalonians 1.12 puts it more personally, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. There's an article written this week in the Gospel Coalition entitled, Self-Worship is the World's Fastest Growing Religion. And then the author lists the six commandments of self-worship. Commandment number one, your mind is the source and standard of truth. So no matter what, trust yourself. Hashtag the answers are within. Commandment number two, Your emotions are authoritative, so never question or let anyone else question your feelings. Hashtag, follow your heart. Commandment number three, you are sovereign. So flex your omnipotence and bend the universe around your dreams and desires. Hashtag, live your truth. Commandment number four, you are supreme. So always act according to your chief end to glorify and enjoy yourself forever. Hashtag yellow. Commandment number five, you are the summum bonum, the standard of goodness. So don't let anyone oppress you with the antiquated notion of being a sinner who needs, a, who needs grace. Hashtag never change. And six, you are the creator. So use that limited, limitless creative power to craft your identity and purpose. Hashtag authenticity. The author goes on to say, we were never meant to trust in or be identified, be defined by, satisfied in, and captivated by ourselves. We were made to revere someone infinitely more interesting and awesome than ourselves. Another takeaway from the account of Samson is giftedness is not a sign of sanctification. Sanctification being where people grow to be more and more like Jesus Christ, more full of love, more demonstrating um, God's moral righteousness. Giftedness is not a sign of that. In fact, Jesus would say that it may not even be a sign that a person knows the Lord. Matthew seven twenty two and 23. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And there are many people with gifts, great gifts in preaching and teaching and leadership and many other gifts. 
And yet just because they have gifts given to them by the Lord uh, does not mean uh, that there is an equivalent um, sanctification in their lives. It may be, but it's, there's uh, no causal link. And some have tried to sanitize Samson, in fact, for this reason. They, they say, well, he's got all of these gifts, so therefore he must not be as bad as he appears to be on the surface. And so they try to sanitize Samson. Samson's a sinful mess. That's what he is. And yet God used him to accomplish his purpose of salvation. He's a mess, but he had faith. So back to this takeaway of faith here as we look at this account of Samson. Faith is the link between us and God. And Samson had faith in the Lord for himself. He called upon the Lord. And Samson did not have faith in faith, but he had faith in God who is sovereign to save. It's not a faith in any old God. It's a faith in the Lord and in our context Revealing through the rest of Scripture, it's a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what the Apostle Paul says about founding our life on faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.11 and following. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw... Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as as through fire. No matter what goes on in your life, the key is the foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ and faith in him. And we find, interestingly enough, that Samson is listed among those who are called the heroes of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, the author of Hebrews says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, and Samuel, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, And on and on, right? So we can, in our circles, and I think rightly so, criticize prosperity preaching and prosperity preachers who essentially equate the gospel with God being a giant vending machine. If you have enough faith, God is going to give you what you want. You just have to have enough faith. And we're right in criticizing that. But we need to be careful that we don't go in the other direction and become functional deists. The deist says that God created the world and then he left, has nothing to do with it. No, God is the ruler. God is our savior. In fact, what does the name Jesus mean? The Lord saves. We have faith in the Lord for salvation. He has come to save his people from their sins. He has come to make everything right at his return. He has come to make us more and more a people who live by faith in him in this sin-sick world. Make no mistake, Samson is a tragic figure. Okay, He is a tragic figure. He unnecessarily lost his life. Just look at all the other judges in the book of Judges. 
They didn't lose their lives. But Samson, by his choices that he freely made, lost his life. And even yet, even still, Samson had faith in the Lord. So instead of self-rule, come to seek King Jesus. Be like the wise men of the Bible in the birth narrative. They said, where is he who was born king of the Jews? He is a king that saves you from your sins. Matthew 1, 21. She will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And again, faith is that vital link between you and your sovereign. You and your savior. By grace, you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. We simply rely in what our savior has accomplished, our sovereign has accomplished. She's simply given the title, the sinful woman in Luke chapter seven. In Luke chapter seven, verse 50, we read after she's crying uh, in response to the forgiveness that she's received by Jesus. He says to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. And we can rest in our sovereign savior. Jesus says in John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. Not as the world gives do, gives do I give it to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. A band by the name of August Burns Red has a song called entitled Provision. And in that song they say, I know what I need now. All that was lost is not lost. Even the worst of mankind can't disrupt sovereignty. And many of you have endured and are enduring a lot. It cannot disrupt sovereignty. Jesus said, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. God is in control. He's in control now, and he will save you from all of his and your enemies. And so to paraphrase the Getty song, no power of hell, no scheme of man, no sin of mine can ever pluck me from his plan till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for that reality that there is nothing in heaven or on earth that can mess up your plan. There's nothing on heaven in, in earth that can disrupt your promise to do what you've said that you will do. And we pray, Father, that you would grant us more and more faith, that we might rest in you, that we might rest in your salvation, that we might trust in you, uh, that we might trust in you for what you're going to accomplish years from now and for all eternity, and that we might trust in you every moment of every day. May we live for you to glorify you and know what it means to receive the peace of our Savior, who is our sovereign. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so let us now uh, turn to Jesus by singing the hymn, Jesus, Draw Me Ever Nearer. Let's stand and sing together.